Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. No, it's one of those things since I saw the movie. Now, every time my daughter, you know, my daughter, she's 12, or my son's eight, whenever they give me a hug, every time they give me a hug, instead of saying something sweet like, I love you, Daddy, in my ear, they say, Hell, Hydra. <laughs> That's so disturbing. <laughs> I'm so disturbed by that. <laughs> oh, I I don't know if I should say way to go, Dad, or run away, Dad. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's our family. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra, Daddy. <laughs> And that's your the, your last little whisper at the end, at of, the the end day. of the night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. <clears throat> How? How you been? You're alone this week. I am alone this week. How's it feel? It's 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 interesting. It makes you it it makes you feel uh, a whole different way. It does, especially with kids. Yeah. Yes, I feel like like uh, it never ends. Because no, it really doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't actually end. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I feel for you, man. Good I, I on you. As as one who's used to it. It took it took uh, probably two years. <laughs> two <laughs> to years used to it. of the travel that to to really get used to it. So uh, I'm so good luck. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know. Seems like this is a. Seems like we're getting. I, I like this season because not only do we have big movies, but big trailers coming out. Do you, do you notice that it's like a big, like a lot of trailers seem to be hitting right now. It was hard to pick this week. Well, especially because you know the the trailer market is becoming so saturated with trailers for trailers and just a lot of like, you know, promotion of new trailers. I see so much stuff about, and now the. Th- the third and final new trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy. The third Here's trailer the, for the Dawn teaser of the, for the, the third yeah. trailer of Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Trailer to release Friday. See the teaser today. Right. Here's the character trailer. That's a new thing. Yeah. The character yeah. trailers. That I th- I'm not sure when that started. I'd be interested to know when that started. It feels like right around Watchmen. Uh, did we started they have those for that? I, I thought we did. I that's uh, is. Am I crazy? I I don't know. I don't think if they did, I don't think I've seen any. I don't think I'd seen any really until Guardians of the Galaxy, where they had the little, you know, check check this little bit out about Groot and things like that. Oh no, we've there have been character trailers before that. I'm sure there. this is going to be me researching now. Okay, because <laughs> okay. I'm you know it's a thing. It's a kind of a regular thing for for video. There are a lot of video game like character trailers, uh-huh. uh, but. Um, well, like even uh, X Men, yeah, 
was big on sort of they i mean they didn't i don't think they called it hey look at this character trailer but they, effectively it was a character trailer well i don't remember specific trailers for specific, for, for characters. specific characters like this is the hulk trailer this is the iron man trailer i don't recall that well it's not that there was it was just like there was like a focus on a character is what i'm saying well, yeah, and there's there's often focus on on trailers as far as like, hey, this trailer is going to be more character driven. This one's going to give a bigger picture of the story. This one will have a little bit more of a you know an angle on the romantic elements, you know, to try. Oh, right, right, right. But I'm but you know with these superhero movies, maybe Kick Ass. Did we do? Did we see more trailers for Kick Ass? You do. I I, I, like I really think that there's. An, I, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, this you is going to involve this. This may involve a blog post. You know what you should do afterward? What? A spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A spreadsheet may be involved. The ta- there will be tables. Some of them may pivot. They may be the p- tables wow. of, the, of the pivot. Wow. Right? I can, drop a, I can drop a mean pivot table. I'm I, not saying. I, I mean, you know, I know you're the producer, but I, 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 can, I can work a pivot table. That sounds that's a, is that that's a good come on line. <laughs> would you hey, like baby, to see? Would you I like to see work, me? I can work a pivot table. You want to check it out? <laughs> come on over here. I'm going to work. My, I need to work my pivot table. That's horrible. <laughs> I don't even know what that's. That's like a euphemism for something that people don't do. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Oh, hey, I don't know. Uh, I you know I think we should. Uh, I think we should jump into it. Don't you think? Yes. Let's tell the people where we're from. Where are we from? real we are a film podcast and we spoil movies heavily uh, once again thank you for putting your trust in us uh my name is pete wright that over there is andy nelson hey and we uh this evening i think this is official this is the last of our series our epic series on films from 1981 can't it wait sure to dig is. into it uh we, first of all you should learn more about the show and Definitely look back through our 1981 series over at thenextreel.com. You can see all of the films that we've done uh, uh, there. You can see all the films that we've done prior to this one. Let me tell you, there are 140 of them. Holy cow. Wow. Uh, yeah, is right. Uh, you can join the conversation at, on Facebook, on Google+, on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, and, and uh, make sure you... Oh, and Pinterest. Oh, man, we got a lot of Pinterest boards up there. You want to see some cool poster artwork? You head over to our Pinterest board and you will see some fantastic stuff. Uh, but most importantly, and I know the reason many people just show up, at least three people show up to this show specifically for this segment, it is <laughs> the update on the outsmarted Stephen Smart versus the people, hashtag Pony Prize, hashtag Guess the Movie Instagram Challenge. How do we do this week? It was a fun week this week. Uh, in the spirit of where we're going to be going after this series, which is our, our guilty pleasures, uh, good old Stephen Smart uh, pulled out one of his guilty pleasures, which is Deep Rising, the uh, the movie that came out, uh, when was that, 98, the oh action horror film directed by Stephen Summers with Treat Williams and Famke Janssen. Famke Janssen. And a great big uh, a CG creature. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, on a ship, as yeah. I recall. Yes, so I, I don't think I've seen it since then. But uh, yeah, it was—it's his guilty pleasure, and uh, it was a fun one. It, it, a lot of fun images that had people guessing in a lot of fun directions, 
And it was Alexander C. Curran who ended up uh, nailing it. He no, ended we up. know uh, him. We sure do. Yes, our our friend who uh, won the uh, the uh, guest episode yeah, the for the Matrix choice, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, nice, nice pull. How many images did it take? It was on the fourth image that he he nailed it. Brilliant. And I'll say the fourth image was uh, one of those images that when you see it, I mean, I knew exactly what it was and I hadn't seen it <laughs> since 98. So it definitely was a, a good giveaway image, which, you know, allowed for a little more, you know, some other fun images to pop up over the rest of it. Right. So it was, a, it was a fun week. I like it. I like yes, it indeed. a lot. Yes, indeed. All right. We're coming up on that big um, 2018 drawing. Yeah, every day is a day closer. <laughs> June seventh, two thousand eighteen. <laughs> Mark your calendars. Hey, uh, let's do trailers. I think, Andy, that you should go first because yours is uh, sad. It is sad. It uh, and maybe uplifting. It may be. It's hard to say. Hard, right really now. hard to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a uh, it really uh, it's uh, the next film from the Academy Award winning director from the artist uh, Michelle Hazanavicious. It's called The Search, and it looks like um, I mean I, it's nice to see him stretching his legs after that. And I picked it specifically because I had never seen any of his films uh, prior to the artist. Any of his little I know he had kind of those little French spy comedy I think that they that he had been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, this one doesn't look like uh, the artist, and it certainly doesn't sound like anything that he had done prior. So it looks like it's something he's doing to really kind of stretch his legs and show people that he can do something more than uh, these films that he's uh, that he had been doing, which all seemed much lighter. This one doesn't seem to have anything light in it at all. It, uh, it looks really heavy. It's about, um, it looks like a couple women who work uh, for like a... a, a uh, you know, like a nonprofit or a non-governmental group that kind of goes into uh, war-torn countries and tries to help uh, the the people who are surviving the war. I, namely, in this particular case, these women are trying to help these children in in Chechnya. And you have uh, Bernice Bejo from The Artist and Annette Benning, and they both look uh, great in the film. It looks like just a powerful story about these two women. And uh, it looks like Annette Benning is really kind of the older, wiser woman who has seen it and doesn't get emotionally attached to anything. And Berenice is the one who gets attached to this young boy and tries to take him in, even though he's seen so much destruction and awfulness in his life. It just looks like things, uh, you know, it just doesn't look like he's ready to, uh, to have affection shown to him. It looks like a really interesting step for uh, Hazana Vicious. And I am very curious to see how it turns out. Um, I, it, you know, the trailer, ha- it's, you can't understand all of it because the trailer's uh, French and English. And uh, when there are subtitles for the Chechnyan, it's all in French. So I couldn't understand a, a chunk of it, but mm-hmm. it looks really interesting. It, it really does. And I think you nail it. Uh, it. It really feels like a chance for... Uh, a chance for him to do something dramatically different. Uh, yeah. That is so refreshing. I mean, it, it looks really kind of horrifying. It's one of those sucker punch films that makes you want to get on a plane because it's horrible. 
Yeah, and same thing for uh, for Bernice, who uh, had been nominated uh, for the artist as uh, as best actress in a supporting role, but um, again, it was a it's one of those films that are people getting nominated because people just fell so in love with it, or are they getting nominated because they actually did great a great job. And in her case, I, this looks like a chance to also show, look, I can do more than just play the the cute little silent, the cute little girl in a silent film. Hmm. Hmm. Well, yeah. it's worth seeing. Uh, head over to nextreel.com and check out the uh, entry for Atlantic City, and you will see the trailers right there that we are talking about. Um, when does it? Uh, did you say when it comes out? When's it come out? It doesn't have a release date yet. The trailer's out. It just says 2014 right now. It it opened at Con in may and i believe it's opening in france in november um right now it's just scheduled for 2014 in the u.s uh, i don't know if that's going to get pushed i don't know if they're going to push to release it in the award season and try to make it a big awards film or what but yeah. uh, i'm sure we'll find out more as the year progresses all right well mine isn't uh, sad as much as it is uh horrifically violent and yeah frightening Right? So here's yeah. the thing. Uh, my film is No Good Deed. Uh, it is directing, uh, directing by, directed by Sam Miller, <laughs> uh, written by Amy Lagos, uh, stars uh, Tariji P. Henson, uh, Leslie Bibb, and Idris Elba. Now, I had not heard of this film, but in reading up on it, I find myself horribly disappointed because the trailer, I, I don't know about you, but I think that Idris Elba is fantastic. Like, yeah. it is rare that I turn something, I can't think of some of a film that I've turned on with Idris Elba in it or, or a TV show and not been really just moved in some way by his performance. I think he is a terrifically talented actor and and uh, I, I really, I think he makes great choices. So, much to my chagrin, here is No Good Deed. Uh, the story is about uh, uh, the woman, Terry, is home with her daughter. She's a former DA or, or something. She's at her house, and late one night, escaped convict uh, convict Elba uh, is in a car accident right outside her house, and uh, he comes in and says, Hey, can I use the phone? You know, I'm a nice guy, but I have blood on my forehead. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, he comes in, cuts the phone line, and begins terrorizing her so it's it's one of those films it's her getting her groove back with a crowbar at some yeah. point i believe against his head <laughs> all right so this film was originally supposed to come out october 2013 and it got pushed uh it's been pushed twice uh once i think probably legitimately that it was opening against the the producer had uh was doing a, a ride along with kevin hart and it was the the first push date had run into that and he didn't want to have his his two uh Two uh -huh. of his films competing against one another. But then it got pushed again, and for no reason pushed again. So it was pushed all the way through 2014 to September 2014. Now it's it's uh, nearly a full year late. The film is, is, is done. It's just sitting on a shelf. And that is... I don't think that's a good sign. Yeah. If it's a film that is that is that's like a pinball film. I know we have filler films in the schedule, but this one feels like a pinball film and it's it's just being tossed around. And that makes me sad, but I'm going to see it anyway because I think Elba is worth seeing. That's that's my pitch. And Taraji I think is fantastic. I mean, you know, yeah. she's she's proven her stuff in in a number right. of films. Um it, but it does look like one of those genre thrillers that uh, we've all seen before. And I think that's the that's probably what they're that's, fighting. That's the problem, right? Yeah. 
It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have. It doesn't look from the trailer like it has something unique. unique that yep. yeah, that that's kind of giving it a chance to kind of stake its territory. Well, I think that's. I think what they're that they were counting on was uh, probably uh, Elba and Henson, right? That yeah. they're going to be the unique bit, and right. I, I think what they're what they're seeing is it's not not quite unique enough. Right. Right. Uh, so that it makes me sad, but I think it still uh, looks like a good trailer. It's a good uh, dark thriller. It does. Yeah. I mean, it actually does look quite enjoyable in, in the sense of you know genre thrillers. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to have its scares. It's got its great characters. Uh, Taraji looks like she's a, playing a, a strong mom character and uh, very protective of her daughter. And I, you know, this is something I'd watch. Totally. Turns out the daughter did it. Whoa. She's like five. Out. She's like five years old. Wow. But man, she can toss a crowbar. Didn't that happen in some Robert De Niro movie where the daughter was doing it? Or was it the dad who was was it him and he was Now you're just using words. Now you're just using <laughs> and blah, words. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen I hey bonus trailer? Have you seen the trailer for the interview? Yes. I, well, I, saw the, I, saw, I saw the teaser and I, I don't know if uh, uh, okay I'm just the... saying I'm just throwing it out there because it's another Evan Goldberg Seth Seth Rogan uh, Seth Rogan James Franco they're they're journalists and they're gonna they're off to assassinate Kim Jong-un yeah and because I think we're on both of us are on the record as having liked uh, this is the end yes I think this is I I don't know I the trailer I found myself laughing with the funnies. I thought it was okay. Oh, didn't, stop. Didn't you're that excited. Oh, you're a buzzkill. I know. Sorry. Right. Artsy Andy just came out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy, it's summer. Have a mojito. Turn on the AC. <laughs> Watch a little Rogan and Franco. That's right. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Let's head to Jersey. Atlantic City. It will change every idea you ever had about winning and losing. You looked. You spilled your drink. No, no, no. You took your eyes up. You allow me to distract you. Teach me stuff. Susan Sarandon. Like what? She has the ambition. What you know. Burt Lancaster has the experience. I'll think about it. Just hand him this. I'll wait outside. Hey, you ain't trying to set me up now, are you? I'm trusting you. I left a fortune in your apartment. Alone, they might not make it. Together, they might not survive. Tell those hoods to leave the women alone. I watch you. What do you do when you watch me? Hey, foxy grandpa. I look at you. You take off your blouse, then you run the water. You open a box of blue soap, and you take the soap in your hands. It's over now. I want the money. Money. You run your hands under the water to feel the temperature. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Give me the money. Now. Then you take a bottle of gold perfume when you... You saved my life. The money. Money, money, money. A room for me and my mother. Glad to see you're born again. Bert Lancaster. Anyone ever take care of you like I did? If you're safe. Susan Sarandon. Yes. Atlantic City. For everyone who's ever needed one more chance. The film, uh, we're wrapping up our series here, our 1981 series, with the Louis Malle film Atlantic City. 
from 1981. U.S. released 1981. The French and the Canadians got it in 1980. If this right. show were based in France or Quebec, this would be our 1980 series. <laughs> That's right, right. Same thing with Das Boot. That but, was a exactly in Germany. In Germany, we're not in Germany. We're not in Germany. We are uh, supreme nationalists. I think if anybody knows us, that's the first thing they say. Oh, oh, Pete and Andy, they're nationalists. That's right. <laughs> I'm wrapping myself in my flat right now. <laughs> Written by John. Uh, okay, John Gare. Gare. John Gare. Yes. yes. Written by John Gare. Starring Burt Lancaster, Susan Sarandon, Kate Reed, Michael Pickley, Hollis McLaren, Robert Joy, many, many other people, Robert Goulet, and, of course, the inimitable Wallace Shawn for about 15 seconds. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay, so I think the big big question for you, I think both of us, last week, coming off of last week's show, we were nervous. Yeah, yeah. I I hadn't seen this in a while. I couldn't remember much of anything except... Uh, Susan Sarandon uh, rubbing herself in lemon juice. Oh my God, that hit me like the hot kiss at the end of a wet fist. That <laughs> that brought me right back. Yeah, yeah. that lemon. And I I was watching it. I was watching it, and my wife wandered through. I said, "Hey," because I didn't remember the end where the lemons is resolved. And I said, "Hey, what reason might you have as a woman to slice up a lemon and just rub it all over yourself?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't respond to that. She didn't. I thought yeah. that was a th- maybe it was a personal thing. She doesn't smell like lemons. Oh, you didn't all of a sudden have a, a bowl of lemons sitting by the nightstand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So, uh, so yeah, that boy, you're you're right. The lemons. I interrupted. Go ahead. No, I, I, you know, that's the one thing I did remember, and I couldn't remember the story. I, I, I kind of remembered the vagaries of it, like he was a, a kind of an old gangster and stuff like that. But that's really it. I mean. So I, I came into this mostly uh, completely fresh, and it was actually, uh, I you know, I found myself really falling in love with this film. I I actually think between the two uh, Louis Malle films that we've talked about, I think this is the one that I really connected with a lot more than uh, my Dinner with Andre of his two 1981 films. I just loved these characters, and I loved the story. And I really loved everything about this. And I'm so glad that it ended up being on our list because I had a great time watching it. And uh, um, and it was just a refreshing surprise. Wow. I feel yeah. like you're totally setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, okay. So I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't fall in love with it. And, and, but, but I didn't hate it. Um, I, I this is a Casablanca film for me, right? It's, you know. Uh-huh. If I gave you any thought, I probably would. Like, I could totally see why I forgot this film. I can absolutely see why I forgot it. And the next day, I didn't really remember much of it again uh, after I watched it this this last round. I think it is a it's it's a, a film with such great promise and such great ingredients, and ultimately, uh, it ends up um, showing I think so little um, spark or energy or I don't I don't want to say am- ambition, but punch. Uh, it's like a, the, the entire film was made and then, um, then they, they watched it on mute and, and said, that's a great movie, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, like it, it has no energy uh, to it. Interesting. It was extremely difficult for me to get through on that, that result because individually 
I really do. I, I like these characters, and I found myself really drawn to it. I wonder what's going to happen to these characters. But then, uh, you know, you put them all together, and it's like their stories are just, uh, they they um, um, they just came at me uh, sort of limply, limping down a dark alley and, and uh, of, of no note. Burt Lancaster, I think, represents so much of, of the film to me. It's this, it's this sad old man who has, been, um, who has been relegated to kind of his own memory, right? We, we, we aren't sure uh, what his glory days were really like, but we are sure they are likely uh, nowhere near the glory days that he paints in his own head or that he allows right, right. to be painted in his own head by uh, the coming of this new uh, young Turk. Uh, and so, um, you know, his his memory kind of builds up, but you can see him just sort of parading around doing his thing in a really sad Atlantic City, um, yeah. you know, sad, poor Atlantic City that has really at this point in time very little redeeming. I mean, the, the set of Atlantic City as a, as a character in this film is, is just... It, it's sad and it doesn't in any way add to the texture of these characters like they're fighting it so hard in not a way that allows us to have any sort of promise uh, <laughs> I, I think this film was was painted as a comedy and most of it's not very funny there there are some little comedic moments and a real gem at the end for me uh, but but most of it is just it's just a sad parade of old sad. Well, it is, and I don't know why you thought it was a comedy, or what made you feel like there's a, it's it has a comedy in there. I don't know. Maybe it's the poster. The poster is just goofy with their happy pictures on it, and well, that's yeah. That's if you look at that's a newer picture that's of it because they had to put their art, faces right. on it. Yeah, if you look at like the older picture, it, it's a it's you know kind of a wider shot of him and her, and he's they're running, and he's got his gun drawn out and yeah. everything, and it's you know there's a little more tension in it. They're not identifiable necessarily as Bert and Susan. The best poster is actually like one of the Italian ones where it just looks like one of those. <laughs> Italian films where it's like, you know, it's it's her with her blouse open. Or, oh, you know, yeah, I, I saw that one. Yeah, open, and him yeah. behind her. And... Right, right. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that feels like an Italian poster. Yeah. But, you know, for me, the, there's nothing about this that, that screams this is a comedy. This definitely feels like it's a drama, and it feels like it's a really, it's a sad film watching this guy um, try to relive these glory days. You know, always talking about the the, you know, the good old days and everything, and even grace. I mean, everything about it feels, uh, you know, we're, there's this transition going from the old to the new as the city is changing because, it, you know, Atlantic City uh, at that point in time was really uh, kind of collapsing, and it was the, the decision to kind of bring the casinos in to help revitalize it, revitalize it that really saved the city, and that's the, the, the it was great, and a great opportunity to film this during that transition. So you actually get constant construction going on in the background. You get buildings uh, getting knocked down. There's just this, this constancy of change going on throughout the film. And you have uh, Lou, Burt Lancaster's character, uh, you know, this old time retired gangster who lives this life and he's living in the glory days. But really what he's doing is helping Grace, who's kind of this bedridden woman who's she's not really, but she's most spends most of her time in her bed. Uh, and he's just kind of her helper and making her eggs and taking her dog to the groomers. And it's really kind of a sad life for him. It's a sad life for her because she's always pining for her lost husband. What was his name? Cookie uh, yeah. something. 
and um, and even uh, Susan Sarandon's character Sally, um, she's she doesn't have that the distance of time that they have as far as what they're pining for, but she certainly is trying to start anew. She's trying to create this new life for herself as a croupier, and in comes her uh, her husband. Who is uh, who ran off with her sister and got her knocked up, and now they're coming back to uh, quote unquote you know see her and and stuff, but really they're in town to uh, to um, deal uh, deal drugs basically, and, and and so that's another change is she's trying to deal with that and create this new life for herself, and in comes you know the 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 bad elements of her past and. And for me, I, I loved these characters, and I loved this transition that they were all going through, and the, just the sadness of all of it, and in particular, Lou. And I loved how that builds uh, in his character through to the end when he's talking about you know, how he was cellmates with Bugsy Siegel, and then you find out the truth behind that statement. And then, that he was in the drunk tank for yeah, right. He was just in the, yeah, exactly, and that yeah. was it. You know, it's like he didn't even look at him really. Yeah. And then, uh, and then to finally be confronted with these these bad guys, uh, well, for the second time, the first time he he's proved as inept as he really has always been, and, and unable to actually save the girl. But at the end, when uh, when they attack again, and he pulls out the gun and kills them, and it it, it becomes this weird moment. In the film, and, and it kind of continues on where it's like this constant gloating from him where it's like he's lived this entire life pretending to be or wanting to be this gangster and painting himself like that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And it's sad and it's pathetic. And then when he finally gets a chance to do it and he does it to save the girl and he runs off with her, uh, at least for a time, that's all he can think about is is he's finally made it and he's finally that guy that did that thing in the paper and that's the only thing he's excited about it's 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 so disturbing and sad and pathetic and and i love that about this film and i love how sally uh how her character sees that and you know he wants her to run off to florida with her and she um really wants to go to france because she knows she has no chance to be a croupier uh in the u.s anymore basically and so she wants to go to france to train to do this and just all of that final moment, how she she finds a way to uh, to kind of succeed at what she wants to do. He lets her go, and um, in, in a tragic way where he acknowledges it, it's it's almost like that's his final moment of acknowledging he's finally made it, at least as far as what he has painted for himself in his head. He's now this gangster who made the headlines in the paper and is on all the news channels every time they turn on the TV. He's finally that guy. But he also kind of acknowledges that where he belongs is back with Grace, and they he goes back to her. And, and this ending, it's, it's, it's like this, this really melancholic ending with the two of them as he, as they're doing this like final drug deal and he's kind of helping her and the two of them are now kind of creating this connection and creating this new life for themselves as I don't, I don't know just you know want to be old gangsters really so for me that's what really works in this film is it is this film looking at these people who are just sad and lost in their place and and are living in the past and I think that it was captured really well. And I don't think I enjoyed this film nearly as much the first time I saw it. I think this time when I watched it, I, I don't know, I just really connected with the characters. And I, I really loved the story that, they, that 
Louis Mall presented to us. But you, you can s- sort of see why I, I would remember it more uh, as a comedy, right? Because some of the best moments are the weirdest moments, the moments where you're just not sure if you should laugh, but ultimately are pretty funny. I think any time he is making a drop at with the real gangsters who are all playing their card game uh, is funny. I mean, it's it it's an awkward position. He's so such a fish out of water, uh, so inexperienced. Um, in spite of his own aspirations, uh, that to see him go and try and actually have this interaction with the sh- with the short mobster is is funny to me. the The fact that Chrissy, the sister, uh, who is crazy pregnant, uh, is also a uh, magical uh, foot massa- massager. <laughs> right, <laughs> like she right. knows all the pressure points, and that she she has that relationship with Grace. I find that uh, that that is a real shining moment for me in this film. It's so weird in this film that is ultimately pretty takes itself pretty seriously to have these these gems of humor. Uh, it, it, it's awkward uh, to me, but I find them really nice moments. Uh, the fact that Lou has a sexual relationship with Grace, sort of, uh, uh, is so bizarre to me that 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 their relationship happens. I think Grace is one of the uh, one of the great sort of uh, um, humorist characters in this film, and uh, and is a real light of energy uh, in a in a in the film, which is otherwise, as I said, I I, I feel is fairly dull. Um, but again, I don't want to come off like I. I didn't like it. Like, I like the film, but I can absolutely see why it was nominated for all big five Academy Awards and lost all of them. Right? I can see that. I I can't imagine this winning anything. Well, yeah. And, you know, to that point, you know, it was also a very small film nominated that year. I mean, this was... I, I think they termed it. This was really kind of the underdog film. This was kind of a, almost like a a little independent sort of film that kind of somehow sure. got in. I mean, it was it's up a greater testament major... that it, it won, or it was greater they, testament yeah, that it was even yeah, nominated was against nominated, films right. like uh, kind of Golden like... Pond and and you know Chariots of Fire and Raiders and, of the Lost Ark. Right, Reds. Right. I mean, yeah, this was definitely um, kind of the art house picture that squeezed in because probably the critics really, really just were raving about it. I mean, it, it did win the national society of film critics, uh, best picture award. Uh, it won the golden lion. It, it still, it ended up getting a lot of awards, but yeah, it didn't, it, it in the U S it didn't find, um, uh, that the voting crowd liked it quite as much. It's, it's right. one of those, quiet films. It, it, I mean, it, it is. It definitely is. And I can, I can see your point that it is a film that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's just not a big film. But to me, it's, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, another example, like um, The Full Monty or something, that it feels like a film that, uh, and maybe that's a bad example, because I think that was more an audience hit. Right. That's the reason it ended up getting nominated for its Oscar, Best Picture Oscar. This one, it really feels like it got nominated because the critics really latched onto it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the critics have... I, I get it. And, and I can see why, why critics would like it, but um, I, I also feel like, you know, I, I can see why this, this lost the popular vote. Yeah, 
Um, it, well, it doesn't, I wouldn't have voted I, for it against those other ones either. Certainly. I mean, I, I think I enjoy uh, maybe Chariots of Fire. Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen that one too. And I've never actually seen Reds, so I don't know. I can't speak to that. But between Raiders and On Golden Pond, I mean, I think those are pretty strong films. I, I would probably pick those over Atlantic City. Yeah. I, I would pick all of them over Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way. Wait. <laughs> in a <what>? good way. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think some uh, the the performances. Burt Lancaster. I want to talk a little bit about Burt Lancaster because Burt Lancaster is, uh, he, he, while I think he delivers a terrific Lou, he also seems a little bit like a man out of place in this film. And my like, I can't help watching this film, and maybe it's because of he he's portraying this character, this sort of bum character in depressed Atlantic City, too well. Uh, that it feels like he feels like he probably shouldn't be here. That's what, the thing I can't get out of my head is every line Burt Lancaster says is, uh, are we finished? <laughs> well, he didn't get along with Louis Maul in the making of this film. He had, uh, I, you know, he's, he's an, a, a big actor. Yes, he's a, he's a big Hollywood actor, and I think what happened in this film is um, uh, he was. Uh, I, I think Maul said that he was being too big, too theatrical for the role, and he was playing it too big. and And Maul had to keep toning it down, getting him to tone it down and tone it down and tone it down. And they were fighting all the time. And I don't. And, and you know, Louis Maul at the time was actually dating Susan Sarandon, and I don't know if it's because of that or or what, but. Burt Lancaster was not nice to Susan Sarandon during the making of this. He was very confrontational, and uh, it was very hard for him to get uh, Lancaster to make the role smaller and to, to make play it smaller. And it got to a point where Burt would actually say to the crew, uh, where he'd say, okay, we're going to do this next shot two ways. We're going to do it the way the little frog wants it, and then we'll the, do it the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, so there was definitely definitely some tension on the set. And uh, they. Uh, I, I don't think it was until Burt saw some of the rushes and saw that what Louis was doing and what he wanted that he started respecting him a little bit but in the beginning i mean it was a five-week shoot and i think definitely for the the uh the first good chunk of it i i don't think it was a fun place to be around that's that's my that's my sense of it and i think maybe that's that's part of the problem is my interpretation of the film of his performance in the film is one that expects uh, you know from here to eternity Maybe not quite from here to eternity, Burt Lancaster, but but a bigger Burt Lancaster, mm. and um, and and I find you, you know, and and I know Susan Sarandon is is uh, so this is the curse of hindsight that we're dealing with at this film for me, that Susan Sarandon I know is uh you know I know Susan Sarandon and I know that she has much greater strength as an actress and and, and in this film she portrays, uh, I think she is, uh, it, it's it comes off as as. Uh, false humility, uh, her performance. It's it's too weak, uh, you know, by half. And uh, because I I know too much about the roles that she has taken on since, where she is much more in a position to dominate. And in this film, she she does not. Um, again, character of the film, character of the city, 
character opposite a contentious Burt Lancaster. Um, but I, I had the most fun watching uh, Hollis McLaren and Robert Joy and their their relationship. I was, you know, Chrissy and Dave. The the, the I thought they were funny. I thought they were, uh, you know, they were the reason this whole mess happened. Uh, this mistaken identity bit, uh, I I think was was great. Um, and otherwise, I didn't I didn't find anything too terribly remarkable. So, there you wow. go. Wow, that makes me so sad because I I <laughs> I was like. I watched this and I'm like, this was the perfect ending for this series because I really <laughs> loved this film. It was just everything that I uh, I was hoping it would be. And I, I really had no expectations going in because I, I just couldn't remember it at all. And I'm like, this could be something that I just, I, I feel is really lacking or something that I really love. And it turned out to be something I really love. So I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. And I really loved the character relationships between uh, Sarandon and Lancaster. And, uh, you know, it, I... I didn't have a problem with uh, the portrayal of, of from either of them. I actually I liked the way that uh, Maul ended up capturing Lancaster. I ended up liking that kind of smaller uh, way that he played. And actually, I could still see the glimmer, that kind of spark that he would give sometimes. That the kind of the Lancaster from from here to eternity, that sort of guy. Like I, when there were close-ups of him, I could still see him in there. And uh, that was enough for me because I, you know, I, I, I really just latched onto these characters. I, I liked the way they played them and I loved the story. And like you, I mean, I really did enjoy uh, the, the couple that, that brings this whole thing on uh, Chrissy and Dave. They were uh, so <laughs> just like they were such a mess. And it, it was such an interesting element to the story. I, I, I was so fascinated that, you know, this is Sally's husband who who left her and now has uh, impregnated her sister and, and just like all of that like twisted nature of this relationship in the story and and Chrissy's just the ultimate just you know the the new age hippie and I loved that and yes. how she's massaging the foot and and you know hitting all the trigger points and all that and talking about reincarnation and everything that came out of her mouth I just absolutely loved it was uh, just it worked so well in in the in the context of everything else in the film i just i really enjoyed all of them and you know things like robert goulet when he's singing at the i think it's the frank sinatra wing of a hospital and everyone around him is wearing is in their robes. pajamas and robes <laughs> i just couldn't see i couldn't comedy. get over that i well yes but it's <laughs> it's all done in a way in this really kind of tragic film and and you know comedy and tragedy uh always i think work hand in hand uh when they're at their best and there's something really interesting about that because it plays right into the moment because Goulet walks over to uh, Sarandon, who's on the phone trying to call Dave's parents after she sees his body and that you know he had been killed, and it's just like all of the the ways that the these moments uh, are juxtaposed throughout this film really just give to me this this sense of this film that's all about. Uh, uh, just this sadness and, and, you know, these people who are um, deluding themselves and uh, there's this loneliness all through this and this, this nostalgia and there's this redemption and uh, renewal of life and just all of this stuff and, and just tragedy and just everything. I, I, I don't know. I, it worked so well for me. So there are moments of this film for me that feel very reminiscent, sort of the emotional um, 
tones of the film are reminiscent to me uh, on on one hand uh, to the closing uh, of the hospital, uh, you know, where we have that it's just sort of crazed kind of delusion, the crowd and their the hospital. Right, kind of director is that that very much Arthur, as he's crossing the yeah he's crossing the the um, uh, crossing the parking lot and I just kind of had that that same feeling and and similar to Network even one of our very favorites which is that that you know uh, life around us everything around us has just gone to pot and this is what we're going to make what it is of it you know we we don't have any other choice because this is the hand we're dealt yeah. um, and. Um, you know, here we are looking at the primal forces of nature uh, in Atlantic City. This is commerce coming in and, and sweeping asunder everything that was Atlantic City. And now we're watching these people make, make sense of it. The highlights of the film, though, for me still, were these peripheral characters, Grace and her dog. And um, she's not very nice to that dog either. Yeah. <laughs> she's ripping it. Ripping it around all over the place. And Although then, the dog does have a little stuffed animal version of itself sitting in his bed, which is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And and Grace and I think their relationship. Every time they came on screen, I thought that was fantastic. I I uh, you know I was really uh, like how Grace's or, or uh, uh, Chrissy's character uh, sort of made that transition from not being aware of the fact that her husband or her boyfriend i guess her sister's husband right. her brother-in-law boyfriend uh <laughs> was uh killed to being aware that her boyfriend brother-in-law was killed uh was like i wanted to see that transition instead we just see her uh in a corner in shock like we she goes from being exhausted on grace's bed to being led gently up to her room and then we don't we don't see her being connected to the fact that there's and and she's like the the one major sort of energetic character that I wanted to see transform, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was I was sad about that. I thought that was a missed opportunity. But again, for me, that doesn't mean much. <laughs> that doesn't mean much. <laughs> uh, but to your point, I did want to say this one thing: the very end of the film, uh, when he realizes that Sarandon is or Sally is going to make off with his um, with his loot. And uh, they have that little sort of tete-a-tete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he hands, and he, he, she takes the keys to the car, and, and there's that one line where he says, make sure to dump the car. Yeah. That was, that was Burt Lancaster. That was classic Lancaster. Yeah. That was classic Lancaster. So he is there. You're absolutely right. He is there. I want even more of that. And see, I think this is one of his best performances because it's I, so subdued. Because it's subdued, and it's it's yeah. This is what I want out of actors. I want to see different things in different films, and I, I not just necessarily the same thing in every film. And so I love that it's a different Lancaster than what I've seen in in many of his other films. I you know I'll give you that I. I, and I agree with you. And normally I would say that, but I'm, you know, here we have a film that otherwise doesn't work for me. So you might as well give me something I know. I think that's where I'm. That's where I'm coming from here. Yeah. Well, and according so. to Lancaster, he'd be on your side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else do you want to talk about? Uh, I, well, you know, I think that's it for uh, for the cast. I think we've kind of run through uh, the big ones for Lancaster, Susan Sarandon, Kate Reed. This was actually uh, because of the the co production nature. Of this film, um, it was actually co-produced by some uh, Canadians and, and French people, 
Um, it only had just a few American actors in it, and then the bulk of the rest of them actually came out of Canada, like Kate Reed, and this ended up being a film that they were able to end up using to kind of uh, jump into other films in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that it was great, where uh, you know, kind of their 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 uh, uh, jumping board into these other movies. Like I think Robert Joy, actually, who uh, played Dave, was. Uh, uh, he's a, a Canadian, and he and I mean, geez, he's one of those people who's just in everything he's now. In everything, yeah, and you see yeah. his face everywhere. Right, he's yeah. all over the place, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of French people all through this, and I like that it's a lot of faces that I I don't see that often. Agreed. It did, yeah, it did feel very independent in that respect. And it felt a lot like, uh, like, like what we had talked about a lot in the course of our, this series, it felt like a film that, uh, was of the seventies. And I mean, they filmed this in 1979. Technically it was a film of the seventies. It just didn't get released in the U S until 1981. But, um, it has that vibe. There's something about it that just has a, a little more of that raw vibe to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it is and that's that may be one of the great lessons of 1981 and there maybe to broaden it a little bit the early 80s it was a there you kind of see the growing pains uh as as the the tone of films in these years shake the vibe of the 70s. And I say growing pains with great kind of affinity because I liked so many of the films in the 70s, but you can see that they these... I think Atlantic City is a great representation for me of films as they make that transition. It has that sort of feel like it, it it's striving for the grit of the 70s with the playfulness of the 80s, the sort of frivolity that we get in, in a, you know, in a Raiders and the, the sort of... As we're beginning uh, to to see the great rise of the Spielberg era. Um, and, uh, but it, 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 and again, for me, it's an example of a film that doesn't execute well on all cylinders because it's stuck between these two worlds. You know, it's interesting that this film is about a city that actually was going through that very same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's this, a great point. This grittier, dirtier world that it had come from that for it really was kind of killing it. It wasn't working very well. And they, they, you know, brought in all these casinos and really kind of, you know, souped it up and, and glammed it out to make it something that's all stagey and showy uh, in order to actually make a buck again and actually right. keep the city on the ground. And that's really kind of like the transition in the 80s, not for the same reasons, but it, it became a much, uh, uh, you know, a little more uh, shiny and new yeah. looking uh, oh, films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that's, a, that's a great, I think that's a great comparison. Yeah. I think it's a great comparison. Everything else became candy corn. Yeah. You know. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, who else? You know, uh, just as far as the, the production of this film, I, I think it's an interesting an interesting one because this was, uh, I think Louis Mall had done his first English language film in 1978, Pretty Baby, which wasn't a, a big success. And he was trying to find something to do. And that and these Canadian people came and, and they were trying to get him to do a different project and he hated it. And he was up against this timeline because in order to take advantage of these Canadian tax incentives, 
Uh, it was one of those, it was, a, I guess, the capital cost allowance. It was a 100% tax write-off for Canadian films. Um, so um, it, they were able to do this, but it had to be done by December 31st, 1979. And it was this frantic race to find a project, and he couldn't find anything. And um, I, I, so it seems a little confusing if it was him that uh, was friends with John Gare or if uh, Susan Sarandon uh, knew John Gare, but somehow the three of them ended up coming together and came up with this story, and and they went and took a tour of Atlantic City and uh, just kind of fell in love with the the idea of a story like this, and that's kind of where the the birth of this story came from. And John Gare wrote the script, and it was just kind of this whirlwind uh, process putting it together. And they they filmed it literally. They started in October, and they 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 ran right up to the end of the year. They finished, I think, December 30th, 1979, and they had until December 31st. So they really just scraped in uh, with the nick of time in order to get this film done. But um, they were actually talking about trying to bring on for the Burt Lancaster role. Uh, James Mason was uh, somebody they were mm -hmm. talking about, Laurence Olivier, James Stewart. Um, but uh, the real person that they initially wanted was Henry Fonda, but unfortunately, Henry Fonda's health just was not up to snuff. He was just, uh, you know, he was uh, having a rough time, which you can actually see in on Golden Pond. Yeah, I mean, he, he was really, deteriorating quickly. He really was. Yeah, both uh, both uh, him and, and Catherine Hepburn were in that. And, um, yeah, and they said it was uh, too much of an insurance risk. I mean, this was a very low-budget film. It was like a $7.2 million budget, so they didn't have a lot of money. And uh, and so um, and then I think Robert Mitchum was actually offered the role and and, and he said um, his his line that he told Louis Mall was I, and I gosh I can't remember how old Mitchum was at the time but he said I just had my face lifted and I only play under forty five now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. So uh, so then Bert Bert came on board and. Uh, he felt like it was a great part, but like I said, it was uh, it was tough for him to get into it. And then for Grace, they actually offered it to Ginger Rogers first, but uh, she responded with a note that said, how dare you at this stage in my career that I'm going to end up in this filth. So she was definitely not up for playing that part. <laughs> so uh, Seems yeah. like a lot of people would agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> snap come on this is a taxi driver that's the truth you know you're right and there are a lot of uh louis mal films that i that i do quite like and i i just um uh you know i i feel like we should do uh at some point we got to find a way to work uh au revoir les enfants in here because that's yeah. what i would i would love to yeah and i've never seen it and i'd love to see it so yeah um, right. the, the, just then the last little thing is the great thing about this is they were filming in Atlantic City for these five weeks and all this construction was going on. And so they were um, as they were filming, they were constantly kind of rewriting scenes into new locations just so they could specifically put it in a particular place where there was construction going on. Like there was a shot where it's uh, um, gosh, who is it? I think it's Lou and Dave walking uh, along the boardwalk. And they walk out of frame, and then the camera pans up, and you see a building collapse. Yes, yeah. There was a lot of that uh, that they really worked hard to capture, so that it was constantly this constant kind of destruction and change going on all around them. And like where uh, where Dave gets killed, the the wacky parking garage. Yeah, um, that is like the precursor to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so yeah. 
it's like this these weird elevator car parking lot things that uh, just is so weird. It's just one of those new things that was just put in, and uh, Mall saw it and it's just like, oh well, we have to put it there because it's such a weird environment. And uh, you know, I think that's just the nature of a place that's in this weird transition is they were able to. Um, find ways to capture a lot of that all through the film and really give us a sense of this city in transition, which I think works really in favor of the film. Yeah, and in that respect, it does. I think you're to your point. The um, just the the physical set, uh, being able or having the opportunity to to you know move the camera around and see that kind of destruction, I think, is a real treat. It's like a sleight of hand with the camera that I think is uh, it's, it ends up being quite elegant and and really adds to you know as long as we're already going to be sad about Atlantic City, you know, let's go all in. And this is this is a film that goes all in. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what do you well, think? Well, I like it. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. I oh, I hear you. I'm not going to fault you for it. I know. I'm not going to fault you for not liking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, you, what do you think? Are we? Uh, do you? Are you? Are you want to talk numbers? Are you ready for that? Do you want to talk numbers, or do you want to talk? Uh, is there anything specifically we want to say about 1981 first, or? Uh, no, I think we should talk numbers first. Okay, yeah. This uh, this film, like I said, it, it cost... Um, I saw that it said um, just under $5 million, but uh, it looks like it maybe went over budget because the numbers that I saw were $7.2 million as far as what it ended up costing to make. And uh, that, uh, to today's dollars, would be about uh, $18.5 million. Um, it ended up making domestically about uh, $12.8 million adjusted. That's about $32.6 million dollars. Couldn't find anything internationally on it, um, but again, it's a very small film. I don't know how big of an international audience it had outside of like the French and Canadian areas that it did play in. Um, so all told, it did it did well for itself. It uh, made one hundred thirty seven or one hundred thirty seven thousand four hundred thirty six dollars and fifty eight cents per finished minute. All right. Yeah, it puts it at you know uh, when it's adjusted, it puts it at number eighty nine on our list. That's not so bad. Not so bad for a for a small film. Yes. Um, okay, so 1981. We've done eight films from mm-hmm. 1981. Technically, In, nine. Not yeah, not including Raiders. Yeah. Which I think is a standout. Uh, when when you look at all the films we did, uh, we started with Das Boot, Escape from New York, My Dinner with Andre, Blowout, Thief, An American Werewolf in London, Gallipoli, and. Uh, course this one atlantic city mm-hmm. uh and and you know i think i i've already sort of said my piece about that sort of weird transition period that we that we're seeing between uh between decades thematic uh transitions um it, you know cinematic transitions just the general feel of uh you know of movies in the 80s um but the films that that i find weirdly timeless uh films like gallipoli that uh, I, I find really timeless, um, it, you know, that, that don't fall into that characteristic. I think an American Werewolf in London is another one that feels um, ultimately timeless um, cinematically. But, but boy, you get Thief and Blowout, uh, certainly Andre, and Escape from New York, which is, has some real problems. Yeah. Uh, but again, Das Boot, timeless. So I, I think it was, we picked a really good uh, series uh, overall. I really like 1981. It wasn't as uh, glamorous as I, I thought it was going to be because my memory of 1981 was Raiders. 
Yeah, right. Uh, right. <laughs> these are, I think, generally more subdued films. Well, and and yeah, and even if you look at the films that were nominated for uh, Best Picture, I mean, On Golden Pond and um, uh, Reds and uh, um, I lost my list. What else was nominated? Chariots of Fire, Chariots the big of Fire, winner. Yeah. Uh, it, they, you know, looking at them, they also feel a little kind of like uh, films that uh, do still fit that vibe also, you know? Yes. I don't know if uh, maybe, and maybe that's the lesson learned here in, in 1981. It's, it really isn't like as defining of the eighties at that point. It really still is very much reflective of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, I think so yeah too. It all around. And that yeah. is the, that's sort of the cultural lesson for me too, right? If we look at these films as that cultural mirror, uh, you know, that, that reflects us, we sort of cinema lags. And I think largely because maybe largely because of production, right? Production and distribution lag, uh, that these movies really were made in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, they were of the gestalt of the 70s. They were reflecting the time and the beliefs of the 70s, and uh, we're just seeing them late. Um, you know, I, I. But I was thinking about this as we were we were looking at at 1981. Uh, you know, do you can you picture the same sort of transition in 1991? Uh, you know, I I don't. I don't think so because I I don't think I think the big change for me in the 90s really kind of hit a little later um because the independent film boom really hit in the 90s and I I can't re- I I'm just trying to pick picture the difference between the 80s and the 90s that would be kind of what I would say is the defining look or the the way to tell the 80s from the 90s and to me, when I think 90s film, I always think of just the, the real boom in independent cinema. And I know, uh, you know, Sex, Lies, and Videotape came, uh, I think it was like the late 80s. And uh, Pulp Fiction was 94. So in that window of time, it feels like that was really kind of the birth of uh, the big boom of independent cinema that really took off in the all through the 90s. And so for me... Um, uh, you know, the beginning of the 90s, 1991, probably would still feel like the 80s as well. You know, I don't know if I would be able to typify it as kind of something on its own yet. Well, that's what's so, I think that's uh, really interesting because, you know, you look at the Best Picture uh, nominees for 1991 and their movies that, if, had you asked me, like, off the cuff, when was this movie really, I would have said these are 80s movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, Goodfellas. Uh, Godfather Part Three, uh, Awakenings. The winner, of course, was Dances with Wolves, and oh my gosh, Ghost uh, absolutely typifies to me an '80s film. Well, and those were all 1990 films. Really, the the Oscars were in '91. Right, but those that's, were yeah, that's true. Right, yeah, right. So yeah. yeah, and I agree. Ghost totally feels like a 1980s film. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I think that's an interesting thing. I'd never made this connection, and and that the fact that my sense memory of movies and how they feel to me in time is it it lags with production schedules, and yeah. and I think you're, I, I think it'll be interesting to look at. I, I don't think we're far enough away from uh, the the two thousands, you know, the the nineties to the two thousands, 
uh, to be able to 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 really have this kind of a visceral feel. But when it when we hit you know 30, 40 years, uh, it'll be interesting to see what we remember as '90s movies versus 2000s movies. If if there is a change, I think one of the things you bring up this independent film thing, you know these these movies tend to get you know even more sort of human. Um, or that's that's what ends up being a, a major theme is this you yeah. know the because we're cheap we have no money so everything has to be about the human condition, right? And uh, and and so what does that you know what does that mean um, to films and and their sort of cultural relevance and resonance, right? So that's and it. it'll be interesting to see what the difference is between the two thousands and the twenty tens. Yeah, I. Probably just more big superhero movies. Yeah, right. It's pretty much all Marvel. <laughs> I think we figured that one out already. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. Marvel and apes. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, this has been the, in that regard. I mean, even though the the films themselves, which I I think, with the exception of, um, you know, I, I think Escape from New York. Well, I should ask you what what was a big highlight for you? What uh, you was know, your favorite uh, of the bunch. I, I mean. Let's see. I, I mean, I I love Das Boat, and going back and revisiting that, I think is always. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a you know a, an intense experience, but it's always a welcome one. I really enjoyed that again. Um, uh, An American Werewolf in London. I mean, that's just one of my favorites. It's a, it's just one of my horror favorites. And you know, again, I know that's one that for some people doesn't work, but for me, I think it works great. Escape from New York really struck me as the one that stands out as not working. It just is a, a low-budget filmmaker who uh, couldn't get out of his low-budget mindset is really how that one felt. Mm -hmm. I felt like that one could be done so much better um, and uh, and bigger. I, I you know, Gallipoli. I really, I mean, I really enjoy that film. It's a it's a powerful one. Um, Atlantic City, like I said, I, I love this one. Thief. Um, the blowout. I, I, they were all pleasant experiences to go back and revisit. My dinner with Andre. I really enjoyed going back and seeing all these again to uh, really get a, a sense as to uh, you know what uh, how things were. Uh, working back in in the 1981, um, I, I you know I think that probably the one I enjoyed going back and revisiting the most again was Das Boat. I would just had, taking in that full you know three and a half hour experience again was for me just a ride. But like I said, I mean going back to Atlantic City, that's probably the one that changed the most for me because I, I don't think I liked it nearly as much when I first saw it as I liked it this time. Yeah, I think the one for me that was uh, the sort of the most cerebral experience was my dinner with Andre. I enjoyed the way that made me think uh, about things that I don't often take time to think about. Uh, but in terms of the the film highlight would probably be Blowout, um, just in terms of the the experience and the celebration of film, uh, which is weird for me to be saying that about a De Palma film. Um, but that's what's so great about it because. Yeah. So often we criticize De Palma for making just garbage, and it's nice to go back and revisit these films that he's done, like Carrie and Blowout, yeah. that are that feel so fresh and alive. And it's like this is why De Palma is a standout filmmaker because even when he makes garbage like Raising Cain, he can still crank something out yeah. that is just absolutely amazing. There was a, I was listening to there's a wonderful uh, the business or was it the business or the treatment. Um, uh, interview with Guillermo del Toro, who you know has had his his, uh, his share of successes and bombs, and uh, you know he says 
uh, I never look back. I have been blessed, he says, with an incredibly small rearview mirror. Hmm. And I loved that that metaphor. I've been thinking yeah. about it a lot, this idea of, you know, you, you take whatever you've done and you just move forward. And that, that strikes me about Brian De Palma. Like, he's, uh, he, he keeps moving forward. He's done some things that are really good for movies. Um, and, and f- you know, he, he has defined, um, you know, certain techniques that I, I think really are, are wonderfully illustrated in Blowout. That was probably the most fun for me. Yeah. Even yeah. as much as I enjoyed Gallipoli and, and Dust Boot, though it was still too long. Uh, all right I say we rank it I say we do if you head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel you will see all of our films that we have talked about on the show and we will see tonight if Atlantic City is going to crack the top 100 the vaunted top 100 let us see getting harder every week it is it is all right Atlantic City or the Born Supremacy Born Supremacy I, I would go Born Supremacy Atlantic City or the Sandlot? Yeah, I would go the Sandlot on this one. I probably would too. Atlantic City or Escape from New York? Oh dear! Uh, definitely Atlantic City. Definitely Atlantic City. Atlantic City or Clute? Oh, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, it is, and I would go Clute. I would go Atlantic City. How hard would you go Atlantic City? I would definitely go with Atlantic City. Really? Yeah. I, I just really, like I said, I, I really connected with it. I mean, if I watched it down the road, maybe I would change. But, yeah, I, the, the, just something in the characters in that film I just really liked. Well, I'm, I, I, could be, I could be persuaded, um, though I'm, I still think about that, uh, that closing scene in the tape recorder. Very intense. Yeah. Very uh, intense. It is intense. Nothing about that sways you. That's no. what you're telling me. All right, I'll give it to you. All right. There you go. Atlantic City or Bullet? You had me thinking about Bullet. Oh. You got me. You're the one who got me thinking. Uh, so we were ranking a little while ago, and you said, right. you know, what is Bullet beyond the car chase? <laughs> right. And that's kind of a good point. It is. I would give you Atlantic City on this one, because I'm sure that's right. where you're going. I would go Atlantic City on All that right. one, yep. Atlantic City or La Femme Nikita? <laughs> Uh well i would go atlantic city on this one (laughs) weirdly i would give you atlantic city on this one too oh well there you go uh atlantic city or christmas in july atlantic city all right atlantic city oh there we are well it didn't crack the top 100 but it's uh, pretty close 104 all right 104 out of I'm, 137. I'm surprised. I thought it was going to crack top one. I was feeling really uh, generous with it. Well, it there. was the Sandlot that did it. It was the Sandlot. Sandlot is not. Yeah, yeah. it's 103. Sandlot's 103. So it All right. Well, that I that's not on me. No, I, I, you, you, I, you were part of that. The Sandlot is a it is a very easy film to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Well, now I feel like we need to talk about where we're going from here. Yeah. Damn. Okay, I you know I have it picked, but I was I it was uh, you know I'm still like waffling. I'm done waffling. I'm You're done picked. waffling. I yes, hope we didn't yes. pick the same movie. I highly doubt we did. Should we get? Do you want to? Okay, so here we go. All right, so uh, this is the first time we've done this. Um, 
And this, hopefully not the last. Hopefully not the last. This hopefully isn't a, doesn't become a train wreck. I don't remember how the idea came about, but we decided to do this uh, surprise uh, guilty pleasure two film series where we're surprising each other now mm-hmm. with a pick that is from our guilty pleasure catalog, a film that we uh, we recognize might be missing some, uh, you know, something in the what's the word uh, quality, um, <laughs> but we love it anyway. Either, either critical or right. uh, or audience, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> right, and and I think the I don't know what was the process like for you choosing your film because we don't know each other as of right now we're recording this we don't know what each other what we've chosen. I, it, the process for me was thinking about films that I liked that in general, uh, well, like I said, either really kind of uh, critically were just uh, massacred. Uh, I, I shouldn't say. I think both were critically uh, massacred and also uh, people didn't really seem to latch on to it. And it, it kind of was something that uh, didn't work out very well at the box office and critics didn't like it either. And that's really what I was looking for in, in my uh, but But you like circle. it. But I, I really like it, right. Because, I mean, there's definitely some that I like that, okay, well, it's kind of become a cult classic. I don't know if I'd call it... Uh, a guilty pleasure if there's this whole kind of cult following behind it now. Um, there's, you know, I kind of went, kind of was toying with a number of them. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was my process, is trying to find one that uh, that didn't fare very well, either with audiences or with critics. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm, I don't know, I may have failed. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, you know, okay. So, how do you want to do this? Who's well, do, who's well, how, going wait, wait, first? Wait, wait. What, what was your process of picking? Well, no, it was it was very similar. I mean, I you know, mostly I went back to my um to my catalog, and uh, it mo- you know, I think back to my youth. I think about the films that I uh, uh, where me and a select group of my friends really resonated with a film that none of us acknowledge even exists today. Right, that we may have dressed like these characters, we knew all of the lines like these characters, uh, of these characters. We, you know, we we may secretly still be able to draw like the logos of these characters, uh, of, you know, various, you know, and sundry uh, little fetish objects. We may doodle them when we're in meetings, but we would never talk about it. And <laughs> and today, as adults. Uh, the film that I chose it was a you know by all uh, by all records by by all viable measures um, you know did not make any money and so I feel like I should feel guilty for getting pleasure out of it. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. So, so that I, by that <laughs> by that uh, score, I succeeded. I guess. I would say so. Yeah, it's a very strange. So, how do we want to do this? Are we going to who's who's going first in order? We didn't talk about that. Ah, uh, gosh, I don't know. Should we just do it alphabetical? Sure. Or then should it's we do you. it chronological? Well, what year was yours? Mine was much more recent. Mine was nineteen eighty four. Mine was uh, two thousand nine. Two thousand nine, and it's already a guilty pleasure. Uh huh. Oh wow. Okay. Well, then I should go first. Go for it. My film is the W.D. Richter classic 
written by Earl Mac Rauch, starring Peter Weller, Ellen Barkin, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Lloyd. That's right. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension! Exclamation point. Nice. That's right. We're going to be hanging with the Hong Kong Cavaliers, baby. That's fantastic. I don't know if I've seen that since since the 80s. Oh, yeah. No, it's, well, clearly you need to see it again. Yeah, that's kind of a cult classic. I think I, it's definitely got its following I still. Think it, I think it does. But it's it's one of those films. That you, there's a little bit of a, well, you know, you there's feel a, a vibe. guilty still. I do yeah. feel a little. I, you know, I watched, I watched it again in, in preparation and for making this decision. I watched a lot of bad movies. <laughs> preparation for making this decision and and uh i still get a lot of joy out of this nice he drives through a mountain <laughs> <laughs> anyway all right your turn Excellent. sir mine is none other than uh featuring nicholas cage i'm sure oh. he's in a lot of potential guilty <laughs> pleasures <laughs> but it is uh knowing Knowing the film that uh, Alex Proyas did in 2009 that uh, really got just creamed at the box office and nobody seemed to like it. But um, but my wife and I walked out and were totally blown away. We love the movie. Um, Roger Ebert is a huge fan of the movie. He came out of it, gave it glowing reviews, and then saw everyone else's reviews, and he was just floored that nobody else clicked with the movie. And it's and then he continued to write more reviews about all these negative reviews it was getting. It was it was a really uh, interesting look at a film that I think has a lot of really interesting ideas, and uh, is a film that I just really get involved in, and I love the story. And uh, gosh, I I think it's one of those films that deserves to have a better place in in the uh, the world of film, and uh, you know, for me, I, I feel guilty watching it because everybody I know, everybody hates it and thinks it's just a joke, and I think it's so good. Wow, this is for me. I, I call this a Casablanca film. Uh, uh, you know, you hate me, don't you? <laughs> if I gave you any thought, I probably would. <laughs> like I saw this movie and the only reason I saw it is because when I tried to rent it in iTunes it says you've already rented this movie are you sure you want to rent it again oh, and I have no knowledge of actually ever seeing it I can't wait to talk about it this is going to be great fun it's got a 33% on the uh, Rotten Tomato meter <laughs> and uh, the audience has a 42% so it's it's not something that uh, found a home with people but oh, uh, it certainly man. found a home with me <laughs> oh, I'm so glad <laughs> I love it I very much look forward to these conversations that's going to be fun that's going to be so fun so we'll start that uh, next week All with, right, I guess for- with Buckaroo Banzai Adventures in the 8th Dimension absolutely looking forward to it awesome How did Amazon feel about this one? It's interesting. Not a lot of people have actually reviewed it uh, compared to some of our other ones, but uh, it's, I think most people seem to favor it. 
<laughs> that being said, <laughs> uh, D-Belve gave it three stars and says, Love Susan's movies and Bert is wonderful, but didn't remember enough of this movie, I guess. Had I remembered enough, I wouldn't have ordered this. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? It's a Casablanca film. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy R says, huh? Things are never as they appear. And he, he actually writes a lot, but I think he, uh, he, uh, uh, really, um, he really captures it with nominated for five Academy Awards is what the front cover says. Really? I only brought, bought this DVD because I remember being on all the time when I was a kid. Burt Lancaster is and was somewhat of a mystery to me. I always wanted to know more about him, in theory, but never actually wanted to waste any time to learn more about him. He always <laughs> seemed like a semi-star from the golden era of Hollywood. This movie was neither a high point for either actor's career, but more of a vehicle for Sarandon. As for the film, it seems dated. I wish I could like this movie, but instead, I think I like the pretty case and will pretend it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow jimmy yeah well there's another one there's another, this is a, a good bit in here atlantic city was tough to get through and very annoying at times every character was either loud stupid or sleazy or all three <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh dear yeah oh, amazon atlantic come, city yeah you gotta love it <laughs> you come through again I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.